0: Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We're a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. Good morning. All right, if you have your Bibles, Daniel chapter 2. Uh, we're gonna follow up with uh, where we were last week. We started a brand new series last week in the book of Daniel, and so uh, Daniel chapter two. I mean, we've got probably what forty nine verses to get through, so we've got to hurry. I'm gonna talk really fast, but first, let me kind of catch you up on where we were last week. Okay, in the book of Daniel, you've got Daniel and he's got his his uh, buddies, and they've been br- they've been brought to Babylon, and so we're calling this conviction in a corrupt culture. And what does conviction look like? Well. Real quick, conviction is a fixed or firm belief. No clever argument, no persuasive fact or theory could undermine conviction. Conviction is, it's steady, it's foundational. It's never going to change based on what the culture wants to persuade you otherwise of. But there's also preference. And a lot of times we have a very strong preference, a great liking for one alternative over another, a strong personal choice of behavior based on one's own knowledge to choose one thing or pattern of living over another. And so what we've seen and uh, what we see a lot of times in culture is that there's such a strong culture that comes against Christianity that sometimes people's personal beliefs are then undermined and they, they give in to the corrupt culture. And so if all you have is preference and not conviction, you don't have much to stand on when, when uh, the counterculture and the corrupt culture come against you. So conviction, as we said last week, comes from the Holy Spirit. Where preference comes from, from our perspective. There's only one thing that you can, you can base your life on that's foundational. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. All of our emotions and all of our thoughts and all of our preferences and all those things don't measure up because they are corrupted by sin. But we have God's Word to stand on. So as we look at this corrupt culture, last week I shared with you what the spirit of Babylon is. Revelation 17, 1-2 Uh, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers of earth have become drunk. So you see the spirit of Babylon from Genesis to Revelation and it really is a spirit of idolatry and immorality and it, is, it has made its way into every kingdom of earth. It has made its way into every single one of the people who get drunk off of this intoxicating wine of immorality and idolatry. And so as believers in a corrupt culture, If we don't have conviction in what we believe, then our confidence in what we believe about God and our manner of life that chooses to honor God can become corrupted. So this morning, there's a real quick thesis statement. We're going to walk through these scriptures. It's a a very cool narrative that we're going to go through where he interprets a dream. But there's some things I want us to get out of it. Conviction in a corrupt culture cultivates the Great Commission, calls to God in a community of prayer and praise credits God for his power and is committed to and surrendered to the kingdom of God. We see all of these take place in Daniel chapter 2. And in Daniel chapter 2, we come across this part where Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and his spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Now, let me ask you, anybody here, show of hands, have a hard time sleeping at night? Yeah, oh yeah. So I've been told that those those who are further along in life than I am, that's a kind way of putting it. They they tell me that the older you get, the 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 amount of sleep you get at night lessens. Is this true? Yeah, there's a lot of shaking heads here and some of you are like, "No, I take I take medicine for that." So, um yeah, so like there's this there's this thing where like a lot of us we don't sleep good at night and it might be that uh it might be that you're not um on up in years it might be that you just had a kid right and man that and so yeah okay I see you shaking your head you're like we don't know what sleep is anymore we we have no idea right and uh so maybe you've had a kid and maybe like once you have that second kid you'll realize that you can just turn off the monitor it's going to be fine right it's God's in control really so uh not that I'm speaking from experience. But, you know, sometimes we have bad dreams. We have dreams that wake us up at night. I, I remember a few weeks ago, I was, I was having a bad dream, and I don't even remember what it was. But I woke up, and I was literally crying in the dream. I was like, wow, that was awful, you know? And sometimes we have dreams that make us sleepwalk, like my daughter, right? And, and she'll come downstairs like this one time, and she stood in the doorway of our bedroom. And she, she had her eyes open, but they were kind of glazed over. And she just looked right at me, and she goes... Where's the girl? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know where the girl is. And please go back to bed because you're really freaking me out right now. I don't, I don't know. So Nebuchadnezzar, this king, he has this dream. And it, it has made him to where he can't sleep at night. He just can't get a good night's rest. And so as we jump into God's word here, we're going we're to gonna kind of break it up into pieces here. So we're not reading all of the verses at one time. So uh, let me pray for us. And I'll show you what we have first. Father, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you so much that you speak to us by the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit. Help us to be believers with a firm conviction about who you are and what you've called us to do in a corrupt culture. God, I pray for this church right now that you would open our eyes and our ears to your word and that you would penetrate our hearts with truth and that we would be forever changed. In Christ's name, amen. First thing I want you to see is conviction in a corrupt culture looks to cultivate the Great Commission. So we're going to do Daniel chapter 2, 1 through 6, and then we're going to hop down and do 10 through 16. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. And the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever, tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm, if you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins." That's pretty rough, isn't it? Like, if you're bad at your job, you're going to die. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. Let's jump down to verse 10. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing... That the king asked is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Now, does that not tell you, like, look to the future because there's going to be a God who puts on flesh and comes to earth that shows us the things of God? Amen? Like, the entire Old Testament is pointing towards Jesus Christ, and you're going to see it here in this chapter. Verse 12. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men in Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill him, to kill the wise men of Babylon. He decreed to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Let's stop right there. So all this takes place, basically the king, he has this dream, is very troubled, he can't sleep at night. He calls in all the wise men and he says, I need you to tell me the interpretation of the dream. And they're like, oh, king, live forever. You tell us what the dream was, we'll tell you what the interpretation is. And he's like, no, you're going to lie to me. I know how this works. I want you to tell me the dream and the interpretation. And they're like, there's not a single person on earth that can do what you're asking us to do. Only God's can do what you're asking us to do. And so Daniel says, well, I, I kind of know a God. So let's, uh, let's see what I, I can do. Let me get into a position to speak with the king. So in verse 16, And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. This is what Daniel did. Daniel positioned himself for an opportunity to declare the power, the plan, and the purposes of God. Daniel, living in a corrupt culture, realized that there was going to be an opportunity for him to tell about the excellencies of God. Let, let, me, let me show you this. The call of every believer is to position themselves for an opportunity to declare the power, the plan, and the purposes of God. Every believer who lives in a corrupt culture is called to look for ways to get in and say, hey, I got, I got a God, and I know a God, and I need to tell you about this God. That's exactly what Daniel does. He is positioning himself to be able to cultivate the Great Commission Conviction in a corrupt culture cultivates the Great Commission. Many of you know the Great Commission. Let me just read it to you. It's in Matthew 28, 18-20. And Jesus came and said to him, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the, the orders. This is the commissioning orders that Jesus gives all those who are his disciples. Now the 11 are there and there's some other people there. There's, there's several people there. And he's like, look, I've, I've raised from the grave and now I want, to, I want you to send you out and I want you to go into all nations, discipling them, teaching them, baptizing them, doing all of these things. I'm commissioning you. I'm sending you out. I want you to go and I want you to position yourself in different cultures even corrupt cultures, in order to declare the excellencies of God. So he says, go, or as you go, position yourself. It's the call of every believer living in a corrupt culture to go and position yourself for an opportunity to declare who God is. He said, make disciples of all nations. You can't make a disciple if you don't declare. If you don't declare who God is... You can't make disciples. Romans 10, 17 says, So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Every believer is called to share the word of Christ. This is exactly what Daniel does. He goes. And as he goes, he looks for an opportunity to declare the excellencies of God. Jesus said, I am with you always. Jesus is the power, the plan, and the purpose of evangelism. He is doing something in the hearts of men and women caught in a corrupt culture. And he is called... And commanded us to join in that endeavor. Is that not amazing? He said, look, I'm doing something. And I want you to know it. I want you to go and to find out. Hudson Taylor said it this way. The Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. While living in a corrupt culture, we are commanded to obey the Great Commission, not called to merely consider it. And for many of us, we have considered it a special calling. Oh, those are for missionaries. We are called living in a corrupt culture to, to position ourselves in such a place that if the, the time arises that we can declare who God is, we can give the gospel. Now, I don't know if you realize what's happening right now, but modern-day Babylon is uh, Iraq, right? Modern-day Persia would be Iran. All those places still exist on the map. And uh, right now, in those cultures, God is doing something. He's causing people to have dreams. Have you heard these things? Let me just give you a couple of examples. Uh, In the uh, report to the International Mission Board in 2018, it tells a Muslim man had a dream over a course of three nights of a man wearing white who told him that he knew the way of salvation to his family. The Muslim man then encountered some Southern Baptist Conference missionaries the next day. This is what he said. The man said, you don't understand, I've had several dreams over the last three nights, and each dream a man wearing white has told me he had a way of salvation for my family and me. Last night, a man, that man, appeared to me again, and told me a man dressed in white would come to my home the next day telling me the way of salvation. When we saw you standing outside, we knew we needed to invite you in to hear whatever you had to say to us. This Muslim, This former Muslim gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ. You see, the thing that we see about Nebuchadnezzar is he has this dream and he he can't get any sleep because God is pursuing and God is inviting his people, just like Daniel, to jump in on the mission and cultivate the Great Commission. Go. Here's another story. This one was told uh, in the simulcast earlier this year for Something Needs to Change. It was a story of a missionary known as Yazid. His name was changed and his voice was altered because he lives in a very, very corrupt culture that um, is anti-Christian. And he had an encounter with a man who lived some 50 kilometers outside the city. This man, Yazid recounted, said this to us when we visited him. A man wearing all white knocks on my door every night and I couldn't look at him because his face was so shiny and bright. When he would come inside, he asked me to write down what he had to say. And as I wrote, I would fall asleep, and then the next night he would come again. The visitations took place regularly over a month, the man told Yazid. Yazid asked him, what did you write? May I see your notebook? He showed me his notebook, Yazid, Yazid said. The notes began, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the same way was the beginning with God. So he had the whole book of John verbatim in his notebook, Yazid said. That's amazing. Jesus visited him every night until he finished the book of John. The man actually asked, Who is this man who visited me? Yazid told him about Jesus. Now, we think this is out there, don't we? Isn't this just too hard to believe? Is it too hard to believe that even in a corrupt culture that God is still moving and acting and pursuing and then also saying, hey, I've commissioned you to go and to be able to answer the questions that people have because I'm pursuing? I'm drawing people to myself and I want to use the church in order to explain the gospel? Every single believer living in a corrupt culture has been called to cultivate the Great Commission. The reason I say cultivate is because cultivate is different than assimilation and separation. So between the years of 1997 and 2007, Fuller Theological Seminary gave 750 Muslims a comprehensive questionnaire intending to find out what had compelled them to convert to Christianity. Can me to tell you what the answer was? Number one reason was witnessing the faith and conviction of believers. The number one reason: these people are coming. To christ these muslims are coming to christ is because they're witnessing genuine conviction and faith from believers we are called we are called even in a corrupt culture to position ourselves for the opportunity to declare the excellencies of god to cultivate the great commission so how do we live in a corrupt culture observing local customs and purposefully positioning ourselves in order to cultivate the Great Commission. Well, let's look at what Jeremiah says in 29, 5 through 7, which will cause you to read Jeremiah 29, 11 much differently. And uh, this is a contemporary of Daniel writing at the same time. And This is what he says. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So this is what the prophet says. Cultivate. Just as God's people were directed to cultivate in the Babylonian exile we too are called to cultivate and grow the faith not to assimilate or separate from the corrupt culture the church is called to cultivate the word cultivate means prepare and use land for crops or gardening or to acquire or develop he says i want you to build houses and settle down plant gardens and eat what they produce in matthew 28, 19, he says i want you to go therefore and make disciples of all day, all nations i want you to make i want you to cultivate I want you to put forth time, energy, and preparation. Anytime you're going to make something, it takes planning. It takes time. It takes preparation. If you're going to go home today and you're going to bake a cake for the Super Bowl, you're going to go home and you're going to be like, do I have the time? Do I have the preparations? Do I have all the, the things? Do I, have, do I have all the ingredients? And so then once you get all the ingredients out, you're going to take the flour and you're going to make a bigger mess just so it looks like it was harder than it really was, right? Yeah, you're going to throw some, some flour on you will be like, oh, I've been slaving all day, slaving on this cake. But you got to make sure that you prepare yourself for an outcome. This is exactly what we're called to do as believers in a corrupt culture. We're called to have conviction and to make preparations so that if we're given the opportunity, like Daniel was, to stand before a king, to be able to say, listen, I know a God and I can tell you all about him. This is what cultivating is. Making or cultivating anything takes intentionality, time, and planning. Daniel was cultivating an opportunity. He was not assimilating into that culture. To assimilate means to become absorbed into a society or a culture. It means that you've, you've lost your witness, you've lost your difference. It says this in Daniel 2, 13 through 14. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. Daniel and his companions were considered men of Babylon. They were considered part of these wise men. They were were part of this. They had cultivated relationships that they were known. But they hadn't assimilated themselves in because they were different. Daniel was associated with and accepted by the Babylonian culture, its knowledge and its practices. But he wasn't assimilated into their beliefs You see, culture is a combination of thoughts, attitudes, feelings, values, beliefs, behavioral patterns, food, clothing, and music. Therefore, as you cultivate the Great Commission in a corrupt culture, you learn the language, the values, the beliefs, the behavior patterns, the food, the clothing, the mannerisms, the social do's and don'ts, because if you don't do this, then you probably won't be accepted. If you don't do this, then you probably won't be given an opportunity to share your faith. Cultivate the Great Commission. Don't assimilate. The assimilation of the heart is described in Matthew 13:7. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it out. See, many people want to assimilate into the culture, and they allow all these other things that the culture wants to throw at them to grow up and choke out the Word of God, to choke out the conviction that's in their life. Assimilation chokes out conviction. But we also don't need to separate Separate means to move or to be apart from. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Daniel didn't believe he was better, only that God was bigger. The reason I say that is because Daniel didn't separate himself. Daniel didn't run when he found this out. He didn't hide. He didn't, he didn't do any of those things. He said, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look for this opportunity. I'm going to, I've cultivated, I've been here I'm going to get in front of the king. A lot of times we separate ourselves because we tend to believe that we're better. Believers who have a legalistic tendency to separate themselves from the corrupt culture tend to believe that they are better than the unbelievers. Can I tell you something? Believers are not better than unbelievers because we're all sinners. We're not not better. We've just received grace. And they desperately need it. And when we separate ourselves, we say, you know what, you're bad and I'm good. And that's just not true. Believers who separate themselves from sinners do so because they believe that they are better than unbelievers. They believe that God loves them for what they do and don't do and that God doesn't love others because of what they do and don't do. You can't. Position yourself for an opportunity to share the gospel if you assimilate into the culture, or if you separate yourself so much from the culture that you want nothing to do with them. We're called to cultivate the Great Commission. We need to be a church that seeks to bring light to a dark world. The church that cultivates the Great Commission will seek to bring light into the light of Christ into a dark world. If we seek to separate ourselves from the sin out there, then we we are evidently in darkness blind to the sin that is in here in our hearts we become so blind i was in student ministry for many many years and one of the things that you had to do as a student pastor was go to choir concerts and band competitions and games and and go and eat lunch at the at the high school You know, and I thought I was cool in high school. And then when I went back, I realized how uncool I was. And when I had to sit and, like, none of the kids wanted to sit with me or eat with me, I was like, oh, that's how it feels, right? But you do these things and you put yourself in their culture for so long because you know that there's going to come a time when they have a question or they have a concern or they have a hurt or they have a crisis. And and they're going to say, look, can you answer this? Because you've earned the right to be heard. Church, let me tell you this. You are called to cultivate the Great Commission in your culture, in your community, so that when those neighbors and coworkers and family members and whoever else is around you is in a time of crisis or need, they look at you and they say, do you have the answer? And you can say, I position myself for this very purpose, to give you the plan and the power of God, the gospel, that God loves you, and that there is one who came and died for you so that your sins could be forgiven and you could receive grace. We are to position ourselves for the opportunity to tell others about Jesus Christ. We've got like 40 more verses. Let's go. Conviction and the corrupt culture looks for a community of faith that prays together and praises together. Let's read Daniel uh, 2, 17 through 23. Then Daniel went to the house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery So that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells within him. To you, O God, of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might, and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Daniel's conviction to position himself for an opportunity to declare the power, the plan, and the purpose of God led him first to pray and petition to God for his provision. You can position yourself all you want, but you are powerless without prayer. We can position ourselves in order to declare the excellencies of God, but if we're not willing to bow our knee and to pray, we lose the power. We all understand that prayer is important. Jonathan Edwards once wrote to pastors directly before the Great Awakening, or the Second Great Awakening, and he said, Be much in prayer and fasting, both in secret and with one another. When God has something to accomplish for His church, it is with his will that there should precede it the extraordinary prayer of his people. God wants to do something amongst his church and his people. He wants there to be a witness out in a corrupt culture, but it begins by praying in a community of faith. Every great movement of God can be traced to a kneeling figure, is what Dwight L. Moody said. And like what Mark Batterson says, God is always preparing us and positioning us for divine appointments. And prayer is the way we discern the next move. The plans of God are only revealed in the presence of God. Now you think about Daniel. Positioning himself, cultivating this opportunity for the Great Commission. Cultivating an opportunity to share the word of God. He's done this and now he realizes there, there has to be prayer. There has to be power that's going to back it so I can get this revealed to me. Because God is always setting up divine appointments. And if I'm going to be ready for the divine appointment... I better be spending time in God's, word, in God's Word and in prayer. If we want God to use us as a bold witness in a corrupt culture, we must first bow our knees to Him in humble dependence. We all understand that prayer is important, right? Maybe you've said, I want to see God move. Maybe you've said, I want to see revival in our nation. Maybe you watched the news this week and that's what you thought. Maybe you said, I want to see revival in my church. I want to see revival in my community. I want to see revival in my family and in my home. You want to see it. But are you willing to pray for it? D. Duke says this, almost everyone believes that prayer is important, but there's a difference between believing that prayer is important and believing prayer is essential. Essential means there's things that will not happen without prayer. Church, do you think prayer, a community of faith, praying together is essential? Let's be that church. Let's be a church that prays together. Let's be a church that praises together. Daniel, he went into this house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from God of heaven. He went to his church. He went to those that he was closest to. He went to a small group. He went to his community of faith. And he said, here's the deal. We've got to pray. We've got to cry out for mercy. The thing with church is it's only as crucial to people as it is close to people. Church is only as crucial as it is close. I, I, I'm reminded of a family. In our church, who's going through a crisis. And their testimony as they're going through this crisis was if this had happened when we weren't close to the church, I don't know if our faith would have survived. The church is crucial. The community of faith is crucial. It's not just a place you come in and you check off a box and you sit in the pew and you go, oh, I did it. Let's do it again next week. Church is a place where you have those people around you when crisis hits or when there's something going on in the corrupt culture that you need a witness in. You go to them and you say, please, let's pray together because I'm in desperate need of the power of God in my life. You and I need our church in order to maintain conviction in a corrupt culture. Many have said the church is driven by the proclamation of the gospel but is powered, and empowered by prayer. I can preach till I'm blue in the face up here but if we're not a praying church we have no power. We will never be a bold witness in a corrupt culture until we learn to bend our knees in a community of faith. And I think that's where I'm so convicted. There's so much planning and procedures gone into the week of a church and so little prayer. And I am sorry. And I repent. We need the power of God to be bold witnesses in a corrupt culture. And we will never have the power of His presence without first bowing our knees. In his presence in a community of faith. Can we please be a church that puts our pride to the side and bows our knee in humble dependence? I can't see my notes because my eyes are watery. <laughs> Verse 19, maybe. Then the, ma- then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. And Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Our proper response to the revelation of God is the corporate worship of God. Paul writes this in Colossians 3:16, "Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God." The church gathers together in a rich fellowship where the word of God is proclaimed and the singing and the praising of God is done through the prayer of God. Conviction in a corrupt culture lives with the commitment of giving God all the glory. Let's continue reading in chapter 2, 25 through 30. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles of Judah a man Who will make known to the king the interpretation? The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and your visions of your head as you lay in the bed are these to you O king as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be but as for me this mystery has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom that i have more than all the living but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind Daniel says this. He says, look, it's not because I'm wise. It's because God has given me this opportunity to tell you the things that he knows. It's all God's glory. He deflects all that, all that praise that would come for his, his uh, giftings and his talents. And he says, no, it all goes back to God. And this is exactly what Jesus says will happen to his disciples. Daniel's a picture of this in Matthew 10, 18 through 20. He says, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and to And the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you at that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of the Father speaking through you. This is exactly what Daniel did. He stood there, he positioned himself for a moment to declare the excellencies of God. He goes and he spends time in corporate prayer and praise so that he has the power of God and the understanding of God and he stands before a king and he's only able to stand before the king because he bowed before the king of kings and he stands before that king and he says, look, I want to let you know something. It's all God. It has nothing to do with me. Conviction always gives God the glory and conviction in the corrupt culture lives with a clear view of the kingdom of God. Let's wrap up this chapter. Verses 31 through 35 and 43 through 47. "'You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. "'This image mighty and of exceeding brightness "'stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. "'The head of this image was of fine gold, "'its chest and arms of silver, "'its middle and its thighs of bronze, "'its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron "'and partly of clay. "'As you looked, a stone was cut out of no human hand, "'and it struck the image of its feet of iron and clay "'and broke them in pieces.' Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floor. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Jump down with me to verse 43. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage. But they will not hold together just as iron does not mix with clay. and its interpretation is sure. Verse 46, Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering of an incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly your God is the God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. This dream that Daniel interprets is both prophetic and personal. Number one, it represents these historical kingdoms that are to come in place. At the head, the king of Babylon. You are the head of gold. The next kingdom that comes in is the Persian kingdom. Another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you. Persian King Cyrus conquered the Babylonian Empire as it refers back to the last verse of chapter 1. After that was Alexander the Great and the kingdom of Greece and yet a third kingdom of bronze in the bronze era which shall rule over all the earth came in. And then after that, the Roman Empire, the kingdom of Rome. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes it shall break and crush all these. The Roman Empire, one of the most mighty empires of all of human history, came in and set up a road system and conquered all these different kingdoms and influenced all these different places. And yet, it was as strong as iron, but it was, it was mixed with clay. It was, it was becoming brittle as it got further and further along. And it eventually crumbled. And there is another kingdom. And he says this, there's a kingdom of God. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring to them an end, and it shall stand forever. He said, there's a stone that wasn't cut by human hands. It's going to come in and it's going to, it's going to take out this kingdom, this Roman kingdom that, that's there. And it's Jesus Christ, the stone that the builders rejected. He came in. He wasn't built by human hands. He was born of a virgin. He came in and he set up a kingdom that would start small and grow big. It was like a mustard seed that would grow into a great tree. Am I right? And it began and it's growing now and it puts to waste all earthly kingdoms. It's a kingdom that lives forever. In Luke chapter 20, Jesus tells a parable. He says this, and he began to tell a parable. A man planted a vineyard and led out the tenants and lent it out to tenants into another country for a while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, and they also beat and mistreated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third, this one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? Look at verse 16. He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyards to others. When they heard this, they said, Surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken into pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush them. Jesus established a heavenly kingdom. It's both prophetic and it's personal. It's personal to Nebuchadnezzar because Nebuchadnezzar has built his entire life on making a name for himself. It's personal because anyone who seeks to build their life on the things of this world will only find ruin and regret. But anyone who builds their life on the rock of Christ shall reign with him forever. Even back in Daniel chapter 2, it's pointing to a king of kings and a lord of lords, a God who's willing to put on flesh to come and tell us the mysteries of God. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. King Nebuchadnezzar teaches us that civic religion is not Christian conviction. Because paying homage to God is not the same as honoring God. Acknowledging God is not the same as adorning God. Revering God with your mind is not the same as receiving God in your heart. And there is a culture out there who has settled for civic religion. It's settled for paying homage to God, praying to God, saying things to God, but yet not building their life upon Jesus Christ and His kingdom. In the book, Unsaved Christian, It says civic religion promotes a God without any definition and a generic faith that demands and asks nothing of its followers. Self-proclaimed Christians who worship a God that requires no self-sacrifice, no obedience, no submission, and no surrender are not worshiping the God of the Bible no matter how much they claim they love Jesus. See, conviction in a corrupt culture cultivates the Great Commission. calls to God in the community of prayer and praise credits God for the power and is committed and surrendered to the kingdom of God. Church, my prayer is that we would be a church that's committed to be full of conviction in a corrupt culture. And that we would begin to position ourselves and cultivate opportunities to share the gospel with those in this culture and that we would today begin by bowing our knees and humbly submitting to God because we can do nothing apart from Him. Thanks for listening. It is our prayer that this message has helped you grow in your walk with Christ. Please subscribe to hear new sermons each week.